Voices are exotic Dancers enter one by one Make love to all of your orifices In your seduction Hello and welcome to Ear Seduction. I'm your host, Paul Schilling. In this episode, we're going to shift gears away from the format of the first three Gospels. In the first three Gospels, the good news was that the problems we discussed weren't really problems after all. That is, our problems with subjective morality, objective morality, solipsism, wish-thinking, make-believe, free will, and determinism dissolve when we utilize my system and the Schilling standard. So the gospel, or good news, is that we now have this moral system with which to engage. This fourth gospel will be different. In this gospel, we will address the real problems we have with integrity, honesty, and maturity. Essentially, now that we've put to rest the childish ideas we covered in the first three gospels, it's time to become adults. I'm not going to sugarcoat this material, and I'll admit right here and now that some of what I'm about to say is going to sting a little. I know it does to me. As I stated in previous episodes, I'm not special. I'm subject to the same problems in thinking and feeling as everyone else. And that fact hurts my feelings from time to time. Please know that I'm not deliberately trying to offend you, nor am I trying to belittle you. Rather, my hope is to inspire you to become a more honest person that has a high level of integrity and maturity. In the following episode, I'm going to identify our mutual lack of honesty, integrity, and maturity and provide you with a strategy for resolving these shortcomings. So when I say that we need to become adults, we must first understand the nature of adulthood and what it means to put aside childish things. To do this, we need to understand the nature of intellectual honesty, intellectual integrity, and intellectual maturity. I use the word intellectual here, but I could just as easily use the word emotional instead. This is because honesty, integrity, and maturity are greatly influenced by our emotions and how we engage with them. For the purpose of this series, I'm going to use the word intellectual instead of emotional, and perhaps in future series, I will explore the nuances between the two. But for now, please note that to gain intellectual honesty, intellectual integrity, and intellectual maturity, you are going to be in direct conflict with some of your emotions. Emotions that guide your wants and preferences. You may, in fact, prefer to remain intellectually immature. For instance, due to the comforting emotions that immaturity can bring. But that preference is in direct conflict with what I'm arguing is your responsibility to become an adult. That is, a person who recognizes when they are acting immaturely and does what they can to correct this behavior. I'll give you the tools to make these corrections. I've already given you many. But you must be able to be the one to self-diagnose and implement the solutions I provide. If you're behaving immaturely, dishonestly, and with a lack of integrity, you must be the one to take the steps to correct this. I'll be there to help you, as will my book and this series. But at the end of the day, it will be you who makes the change. This gospel is about self-exploration, self-recognition, and self-improvement. 
Let's start with honesty. Being intellectually honest isn't the same as telling the truth. Most people, when thinking of lying, only consider one type of scenario. They are asked a question. Did you steal the cookies from the cookie jar? And they answer, honestly, yes, I stole the cookies. But this only captures one very small aspect of honesty. And as with anything that requires nuance, we're going to take some time now to explore the different notions of honesty and how we can avoid being dishonest. Perhaps the greatest achievement of an intellectually honest person is when they change their minds and beliefs after being exposed to new evidence. That is, when one of their beliefs is demonstrated to be wrong with evidence, instead of protesting, they accept the evidence and change their beliefs. This is perhaps the hardest thing for many people to do. Most people believe that they are correct in their thoughts and beliefs. Thus, changing their minds isn't really necessary. Due to subjective moral systems, like the ones I debunked in previous episodes, people believe that their thoughts and feelings are just as sound as anyone else's. Some people even believe that they cannot be wrong, so they don't even see the need to keep an open mind to the evidence that demonstrates that they are, in fact, incorrect. Changing someone's mind, even with hard evidence, in real time, is all but unheard of. In fact, I've heard some people say that if while in a discussion with someone, if they did change their mind in real time, they would be suspicious of this change and that they would call into question the sincerity of their change of heart. But make no mistake, an honest person, someone with a high level of intellectual honesty, will helplessly change their minds when presented with evidence. In this context, changing one's mind is the hallmark of an intellectually honest person and the height of what I call being an adult. Another hallmark of intellectual honesty is when a person refrains from claiming that something is true when they cannot demonstrate it to be true. Put another way, it is dishonest to claim that something is true when you cannot show it to be true. This includes something that you've experienced firsthand. So if you have an experience that leads you to believe that something is true, but you cannot demonstrate this to anyone else, then you should not claim that you have the truth. Intellectually honest people always rely on evidence to support their claims. And if requested, an intellectually honest person will always be able to demonstrate the soundness of their claims. If an intellectually honest person cannot demonstrate the soundness of their claim, because it requires specialized equipment, for, for instance, then they will always refer you to the source material for further understanding and clarification. An intellectually honest person's source material also must meet very strict requirements, least of which is that it has been peer-reviewed and subject to the scientific method. Lastly, an intellectually honest person always clearly announces when they are uncertain about their claims by hedging. If an intellectually honest person isn't certain of their claim, or doesn't know the evidence at an expert's level, or is exploring a new idea, they will always hedge. Hedging is when an intellectually honest person notifies you of their lack of understanding, or about their own personal doubts present in the claim they are about to make. An intellectually honest person will say things like, I'm not an expert on this topic, but my understanding is, or please look this up for yourself. But if my memory serves me, the answer is, or I'm not sure about this, but these are statements that hedge the claim 
and notify anyone that the following claim is not a certainty. Intellectually honest people can be quite strident with their claims, especially when they have mountains of evidence to support their claims. But they also hedge any claim that they are not certain about. Before we move on to intellectual integrity, let's get a few insightful examples of dishonest claims. We can spot many of these dishonest claims to truth in the language that people use. When people say that, quote, you just have to experience it for yourself, unquote, they are conceding that they cannot demonstrate that what they are claiming is true. So they cannot convince you of their claim. You'll have to experience it for yourself and thus convince yourself of the truth of their claim. This is a sneaky way of being dishonest, and it should put you on your guard. Another type of dishonest language is a technique I call probing. Generally, probing is when people state something as true and then walk back their statement immediately after it's been challenged. A famous example of this was in the Bill Maher documentary, Religious. In it, Bill Maher interviewed Dr. Francis Collins, a world-renowned scientist and the head of the Human Genome Project. During the interview, Dr. Francis Collins states that, quote, When I read the New Testament, it reads to me as the record of eyewitnesses who put down what they saw, unquote. Dr. Collins is interrupted then by Maher, who states that the good doctor knows that they weren't eyewitnesses. Dr. Collins then immediately backpedals, stating, quote, they were close to that, unquote, to which Maher responds with a hard no. Dr. Collins then states, quote, they were within a couple of decades of eyewitnesses, unquote, to which Maher finally agrees. This exchange demonstrates probing. Probing is done by someone who believes what they say, but cannot support it with any evidence, and who is trying to impose their beliefs onto someone else. This technique is done in an attempt to add credence and credibility to a claim that cannot be demonstrated to be true, but is believed anyway. The pattern goes like this. Claim one is made as if it's true. If the interlocutor, in this case Bill Maher, says nothing and accepts the claim, then the conversation proceeds as if the claim is true. If the interlocutor pushes back in any way to claim one, then the dishonest person retreats from claim one to claim two, which is a slightly less assertive version of claim one. So it could be said that claim two is a reiteration of claim one, but with less certainty. If claim two is pushed back upon by the interlocutor, then both claims, one and two, are abandoned for the true claim. To be perfectly clear here, Dr. Collins knows that his first claim is false, but he believes it anyway. And even more dishonestly, he wants you to believe it also. This type of thinking represents the height of intellectual dishonesty. Another way to think about claim one is that it is a test. It is proclaimed to test the ignorance of the interlocutor. Does the interlocutor know the subject matter well enough to know that claim one is false? If not, then the person making the claim has the upper hand and will press that advantage in the following claims. Yet another way to think about claim one and probing is that it is an emotional manipulation. Does the interlocutor have an emotional weakness? In this case, empathy for the claimant, where they will accept claim one as true 
in order to avoid any uncomfortable feelings that might arise from a disagreement. If the dishonest claimant can get this concession, then they will press that advantage and continue to manipulate their interlocutor. And still another way to think about claim one and probing is that it is often used as a method for extortion. If someone is willing to accept claim one, what else will they be willing to accept? Perhaps they'd be willing to give away money or something else of great value. Probing is often used by dishonest people to see how much they can get away with, and that often translates to extracting money or other resources from those that they come into contact with. In the case of the good doctor, he was most likely just looking to solidify his belief in the story of Jesus Christ by falsely claiming that the Gospels of the New Testament were eyewitness accounts. If Marr agrees to this claim, then the good doctor feels justified in his belief. But make no mistake, anyone who is willing to engage in the dishonest practice of probing would be happy to relieve you of your money. I'm positive that the good doctor would have been proud of himself if he had convinced Bill Maher to convert to Christianity and to donate $1 million to his favorite church. The big takeaway here is that no matter how upstanding the citizen and no matter how scientifically literate, anyone who lacks intellectual integrity and intellectual honesty cannot be trusted. So, what is the antidote to dishonesty? We talked about it in a previous episode, and it is epistivism. Never believe anything without mountains of, em- of evidence to demonstrate its truth, and never make claims without being able to demonstrate the truth of your claims. In order for you to be comfortable making a claim, there should be museums full of irrefutable evidence demonstrating the truth of your claim. One should never have to take your word for it, and no one should ever be forced to experience it for themselves. If your claim is true, then you should be able to demonstrate it for everyone else to then verify. Also, others should be able to demonstrate the truth of your claim back to you and anyone else who may be interested. If your claim requires a demonstration that you cannot provide due to it being too complicated or requiring specialized equipment, then multiple citations are required, pointing your interlocutor towards peer-reviewed studies of those that have demonstrated the truth of your claims. Ultimately, a clear and easy path from questions to answers should be made available to the interlocutor so that they can witness a demonstration for themselves. One wonderful truth about facts and evidence is that they can be agreed upon by everyone, especially when we engage with facts and evidence in an intellectually honest way. As a quick test of this, consider this question. Are people that believe in flat earth honestly engaging with the evidence that demonstrates that the earth is spherical? Or are they lying to themselves and you about the true nature of evidence? If you believe in flat earth, Please don't take offense to this example, but please do look deep inside yourself to determine the truth. Are you sure it's flat? Can you demonstrate this? What about the mountains of evidence that demonstrates that the earth is spherical? You have to evaluate that evidence in an honest way and not just continue to hand wave it away as a giant global conspiracy theory. Please, please reconsider. And during your reconsideration, employ the methods I've outlined in this series. So quickly, let's provide a summary of what it means to be intellectually honest. An intellectually honest person will change their mind when presented with evidence. 
an intellectually honest person does not make claims that they cannot demonstrate to be true. An intellectually honest person only believes things that are supported by evidence. An intellectually honest person provides citations when they are unable to provide evidence or a demonstration. And finally, an intellectually honest person hedges when they are uncertain of the truth of their claims. Next, let's discuss intellectual integrity. This is the notion that all of your beliefs, not just some, are evidenced and demonstrable. A person with intellectual integrity has consistency between all of their beliefs. They never engage in special pleading, that is, asking for an exception to be made for a belief that they hold which lacks supporting evidence to demonstrate its truth. Having intellectual integrity requires that all of one's beliefs hold up to the same standard, and that standard is evidence. So, to continue to pick on our good Dr. Collins, let's quote him further from the same interview. Marr opens the interview by recognizing Dr. Collins as a brilliant scientific mind, one that rightly requires evidence and demonstration to come to his brilliant scientific conclusions. In the case of the good doctor, he led the way in mapping the human genome, and in doing so, discovered mountains of evidence to support the fact of evolution, which he believes in wholeheartedly due to the facts, evidence, and peer-reviewed studies that he helped generate. When asked by Marr why he believes in the story of Jesus Christ, the doctor states, quote, The historical evidence of Christ's existence is overwhelming, unquote. When Marr asks, what evidence? The good doctor states the quote I already referenced above, quote, When I read the New Testament, it reads to me as eyewitness accounts, etc., unquote. And the probing I referred to earlier ensues. At one point, Marr asks if the New Testament is sound evidence that warrants belief, and Dr. Collins responds with, quote, You are setting up a standard for proof that I think would be an impossible standard to meet, unquote. So, the good doctor requires scientific evidence for his acceptance of the facts of evolution, but will lie about the soundness of the Gospels to prop up his belief in the great Nazarene? Again, Dr. Collins knows that the Gospels are not eyewitness accounts, but chooses to believe that they are because he wants to give the impression that he has a high standard of evidence, and thus, his belief in the truth of the Gospels is sound. Dr. Collins' double standard is proof positive that he lacks intellectual integrity. A person that has a strong and solid foundation of intellectual integrity would never lie about the soundness of his sources. They would never rely on weak sources for evidence, and they definitely would not engage in special pleading to allow for their favored beliefs to be exempt from the high standards that science and evidence require. Before we move on to intellectual maturity, let's quickly summarize what it means to have intellectual integrity. Those with intellectual integrity require that all of their beliefs have demonstrable evidence to support them. Those with intellectual integrity follow all the tenets of intellectual honesty from above. Those with intellectual integrity never engage in special pleading in an attempt to allow for their favorite belief to be exempt from the high standards set by evidence and the scientific method. Those with intellectual integrity require that all their beliefs across the board adhere to the same scientific standards for soundness. Finally, let's discuss intellectual maturity, and with it, emotional maturity. For these two go hand in hand, and often one precedes the other. The height of intellectual maturity is to accept when you are wrong, embrace it, change your mind, and move forward with your new understanding of reality. 
This includes accepting feelings of rejection, embarrassment, or anger for being shown to be wrong. Intellectually mature people don't lash out at others when they are shown to be wrong. Rather, they express joy for being freed from their ignorance. Intellectually mature people never engage in emotional manipulation in an attempt to win an argument. An intellectually mature person will work through negative emotions by seeking professional help and psychotherapy. The ultimate expression of an intellectually mature person is relief and gratitude. An intellectually mature person is relieved to be rid of ignorance and grateful to the person that educated them. Perhaps Immanuel Kant said it best when speaking of David Hume when he said, quote, It was the objection of David Hume that first, many years ago, interrupted my dogmatic slumber. Unquote. An intellectually mature person is happy when their dogma is called out, not insulted by an objection. And an intellectually mature person will not dwell on any negative feelings that they may experience if they fail to come to the truth by their own volition, and instead are shown the truth by someone else. Perhaps most importantly, an intellectually mature person will not express their negative emotions to those that have freed them from their dogmatic slumber. This is because being shown to be wrong is not an insult. It's just a fact. Intellectually mature people understand that it is possible to be wrong. And when faced with evidence that demonstrates the truth of an answer, any answer, the intellectually mature person is able to accept the answer, no matter how difficult, in spite of their emotional response, even if it demonstrates that they were holding an incorrect belief. If, instead of accepting truth, one decides to hold on to false beliefs because they are comforting, or because that's all they've ever known, or because they'll be rewarded in some way, this demonstrates that the person is dishonest, has a failure in integrity, and is intellectually immature. Now that would be something to feel badly about. It is also very emotionally draining. In light of the evidence, the person that chooses to believe false things based on emotional attachment must now continually work hard to fool themselves, which is an exhausting endeavor, one that requires that the intellectually immature person purposefully surrounds themselves with other immature people who also hold false beliefs. You can see where this is going. The immature person builds up a house of cards and is forced to lash out and reject anyone who threatens their worldview. I'm sure you can think of multiple examples of this happening throughout society. And the tragedy is that this is all completely avoidable by simply accepting evidence and changing one's beliefs. In other words, by embracing my notion of adulthood and implementing the concepts I'm promoting in this series. Before we move on, let's summarize the traits of an intellectually mature person. Intellectually mature people are glad to hear that they were wrong, and they are even happier to know the truth. Intellectually mature people refrain from sharing their negative feelings with you when you demonstrate that they are incorrect in their beliefs. They understand that doing this is manipulation. Intellectually mature people change their minds happily after reviewing the evidence. Intellectually mature people recognize when they are experiencing negative feelings, relating to being incorrect, or for failing to know the truth under their own volition, and seek professional therapy to deal with these problems instead of lashing out at others. Intellectually mature people don't emotionally manipulate others in an attempt to win the argument. Intellectually mature people don't manipulate children 
to believe things that aren't true or cannot be demonstrated. There are other aspects of honesty, integrity, maturity worth mentioning here before we conclude this episode. Let's start with a story. I've had it said to me by my friends that they cannot be wrong because they wouldn't lie to me. It was said to me like this, quote, But Paul, it's me. I wouldn't lie to you about this or anything else. You can trust me. I'm your friend. We've known each other, what, like 25 years? What reason do you have to think that I would lie to you? Unquote. This was in response to my questioning the soundness of my friend's claim that lizard people control the government. Literal lizard people. This demonstration of emotional manipulation, intellectual dishonesty, and a complete lack of integrity and maturity is unforgivable. It's insulting and demonstrates that the person that talks and thus thinks this way has completely lost their mind. These kinds of statements and this level of manipulation ends friendships and marriages. While I've seen it in my own life, I've also seen it time and time again in interactions online. And I'm sure you've heard stories of people expressing all sorts of negative emotions towards their friends and relatives for questioning their beliefs in things like lizard people, or Jewish space lasers, or believing that the earth is flat. If you behave with a complete lack of honesty, integrity, and maturity, it hurts your friendships, romantic relationships, your relations at work, and your relations within your family. I've experienced firsthand the complete and total destruction of my friend's life due to his lack of honesty, integrity, and maturity. And much, if not all, of this destruction is permanent. There is no walking back these kinds of claims. And there is no apology that can mend the emotional damage done by statements like the ones I quoted above. Once you claim that the earth is flat, and then start to yell, threaten, and cry when someone questions your claim, the relationship is over. It may linger on due to difficulties in unraveling two intertwined lives, but the damage is done. Friendships are forever broken. Your spouse falls out of love with you, and you eventually get fired. The people I know that act in this way are often seen as crazy and are tacitly agreed with just to keep some sense of normalcy. So things may appear to be fine from the point of view of the crazy person, but in reality, they are far from it. In my personal experience, it took roughly six years for my friend to completely lose all of his closest friends. At present, his job and marriage are still intact, but they endured serious threats to their stability due to his wild, unevidenced, and reckless claims. Imagine the damage that has been done, and what psychological anguish the people in his life are forced to endure as he spirals further and further out of control. And that's not to mention the personal psychological torture he himself is enduring, believing in lizard people and QAnon, Flat Earth, the Illuminati, that 9-11 was an inside job, and that the Jews are secretly ruining the world, and many, many others. You can imagine how psychologically destabilizing this can be for someone that has already lost their mind. And again, this process took six years and is still ongoing. All this time, he and his wife are trying to raise a child. Imagine how horrifying that must be for both his wife and child when mommy has to take their youngster aside and comfort them by saying, oh, daddy's just having a bad day. He, he isn't really that upset. 
or the countless hours spent by his wife convincing herself that family is more important than her fear of her husband and that she can get through this. She can get through this. And the many other self-deluding phrases she must speak to herself in the dark recesses of her large walk-in closet. What a horrible tragedy. A tragedy that is completely avoidable by adopting the system that I'm promoting here. Again, if you are one of the people suffering from these types of problems, please, please reconsider your conclusions and speak to a professional therapist. In the next episode, we are moving on to Revelations, the chapter in which I divulge all the details of my moral system, some of the moral conclusions it provides, and a call to action for us to unify as a people and move forward into a predictable and flourishing, scientifically-minded future. Thank you, and this has been Ear Seduction.